Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, June the 9th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everybody. Once again, in order to uh, move forward, a way of understanding the world that the world can't understand. Your mouth old Michael. Creating a mind that is in a space where it creates an opening for understanding to enter into being. And I, I came across Terry Bowen made the post uh, the other day on Facebook. And that's better. You're you're very muffled at the beginning there. So I'm not sure what you just moved, but you're clear right now. But if you're gonna read something, we definitely wanna hear you. There we go. How's that? Much better. I bet that helps. Great. Yes, well, when I uh, hold my phone a foot away and I don't have the headset plugged in, it it makes a difference. My apology. (laughs) So we'll hit that point again. Terry Bowling had uh, created a post on on Facebook the other day that um, kind of captures the imagination in the changes that are taking place in the world and, and to recognize that, you know, as we quoted yesterday from Einstein, I believe it was yesterday, we quoted Einstein who said that this, this world we've created is a mental process, that that's what we're engaged in. And to create a mindset for a different world, the external world, another quote that uh, Einstein made years ago was his observation that uh, we've become technical giants, but we remain emotional cripples as humans and how much emotionality you just look at what's going on in the, in the media today, the media circus of, uh, of personalities that's going on. And it's pretty amazing to watch the, the childishness, uh, the antics that are just amazing. And so, I just thought I'd share that post from Terry, kind of read through it if you haven't seen it, on the changes that are happening in the world, where where the world is going, with the invitation to think in terms of what would it be like if you and I were capable conceiving a world with so much change that it would contribute to that change. I'll offer an example. I think I shared a few weeks ago, well, a a couple of months ago, Jeannie and I walk about three miles every morning. And uh, as we walk, we carry a plastic bag with us, and we've been picking up trash just to 
make the the roadways more beautiful where we're walking. And uh, the first mm, probably two months we did that every day, we came back with at least one and a half full bags of trash. And usually we'd get home with one and a half bags of trash and we'd have dumped a bag. We keep all the recycles. I'm sure, I'm sure the, uh, the garbage man or the recycle people think we're alcoholics because there's so many beer cans in our recycle bin. We don't touch the stuff, but I'm sure the, the, uh, the, uh, recycle guys look every time they come they're like, Whoa, but, um, we drop off the, the trash aspect of it about halfway, at least whatever we've collected at that point. And, you know, we're going by a mall, there's a big trash container. So we drop that. We're not carrying it, but we carry the recycle home, the glasses. And most of it's beer bottles, beer cans and such wine bottles. Amazing. How many wine bottles, uh, um, there's one one corner that we go by on our walk where I, I guess this guy doesn't or gal doesn't want to be caught when they get home with their vodka. There's a they have a pint um, a plastic bottle of vodka or bo- vodka bottle that ends up on the same corner just about every morning or at least was. So anyway, we've been doing this for about I guess three months now or thereabouts. And uh, we've noticed about the last two weeks that our trash pickup has dropped off exponentially. Like we might get back with two beer cans instead of two bags and already having dropped a bag of trash off. And I don't know whether it's because people are noticing that it's not looking trashy, that they say, oh, I'm not going to throw this out or whether it's the energy that we've been holding that this place stays clean, I suspect that it's got to do with the energy of us. We're just going to keep this beautiful. And there's a vibration that people pick up on. What would it be like if each of us were to be the vibration of cleaning up the trash in our world? Now I'm talking about the mental, emotional trash and creating a space for people to, just spontaneously do it differently. What if seven and a half billion people tomorrow morning woke up bodying the active presence of love, the truth of their human beingness, how would their lives change? How would their families change? How would their political systems change? How would their businesses change? How would their interpersonal relationships be different? I mean, it'd be just hugely, hugely different. And so I'm going to read this because it's it's kind of entertaining, but it really points out the shifts that are occurring. And what if we shifted the same level with the emotional baggage that we've done in the technical world. So the title of his post is called Future Predictions. In 1998, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all photo paper worldwide. Within just a few years, their business model disappeared and they went bankrupt. What happened to Kodak will happen to a lot of industries in the next 10 years, and most people don't see it coming. Why I'm reading this and what I'm holding the space for is that living as hostility and fear with hostility and fear will become a bankrupt state that people won't recognize. It will just disappear and something else will take its place. So I'll go on and read it. Did you think in 1998 that three years later you would never take pictures on paper film again? Yet digital cameras were just invented in 1975. The first ones had 10,000 pixels, but followed a thing called Moore's Law. So as with all exponential technologies, it was a disappointment for a long time before it became way superior and got to be mainstream in just a few short years. It will now happen with artificial intelligence, health, autonomous electric cars, education, 3D printing, agriculture, and jobs. And I hold that it will happen in the way that people live as the presence of love and treat each other as who we really are. So the post goes on and says, welcome to the fourth industrial revolution. Welcome to the exponential age. Software will disrupt most traditional industries in the next five to ten years. 
Uber is just a software tool. They don't own any cars, but they're the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb is now the largest hotel company in the world, although they don't own any property. In the area of artificial intelligence, computers become exponentially better at understanding the world. This year, a computer beat the best Go player in the world 10 years earlier than expected. In the U.S., young lawyers already don't get jobs because of IBM's Watson. You can get legal advice, so far more or less basic stuff, within seconds, with 90% accuracy compared to 70% accuracy when done by humans. So if you study law, stop immediately. There will be 90% fewer lawyers in the future. Only specialists will remain. Watson already helps nurses diagnosing cancer, four times more accurate than human nurses. Facebook now has pattern recognition software that can recognize faces better than humans. By 2030, computers will become more intelligent than humans. Autonomous cars. In 2018, the first self-driving cars will appear for the public. Around 2020, the complete industry will start to be disrupted. You don't want to own a car anymore. You will call a car with your phone. It will show up at your location and drive you to your destination. You will not need to park it, only pay for the driven distance, and you can be productive while driving. Somebody else will drive the car for you automatically. Our kids will never get a driver's license and will never own a car. It will change the cities because we'll need 90 to 95% fewer cars for that. We can transform former parking spaces into parks. 1.2 million people die each year in accidents worldwide. We now have one accident every 10,000 or 100,000 kilometers. With autonomous driving, that will drop to one accident in 10 million kilometers. That will save a million lives each year. Can you imagine a million children who don't have to be abused because their parents entered into a new technological age that was 2,000 years old called forgiveness and finally is going to catch up and hit critical mass and the abusive parent will become a thing of the past? Imagine when that one hits critical mass. Most car companies may become bankrupt. Traditional car companies try the evolutionary approach and just build a better tar, car, which tech companies, Tesla, Apple, Google, will do in the revolutionary approach and build a computer on wheels. I spoke to a lot of engineers from Volkswagen and Audi. They are completely terrified of Tesla. Insurance companies will have massive trouble because without accidents, insurance companies will become 100 times cheaper. The car insurance business model will disappear. Real estate will change. Because if you can work while you commute, people will move further away to live in more beautiful neighborhoods. Electric cars won't become mainstream until 2020. Cities will be less noisy because all cars will run on electric. And it's interesting you know, to see how the old mind resists the new. I don't know how many states it is now, but last time I looked, I think it was something like 22 states have passed laws that prevent Tesla, if you're not familiar with this car, it's absolutely awesome, but will prevent Tesla that's manufacturing a truly practical and reasonably priced car from selling its car in their state, trying to protect the old model. And you watch and you listen to how people rage at, oh, no, don't take my rage away. My rage protects me. It helps me. It's the same type of, uh, of thing that happens. The post goes on to say signals will become less noisy because cars will run on electricity. Electricity will become incredibly cheap and clean. Solar production has been on an exponential curve for 30 years, but you can now only start to see the impact. Last year, more solar energy was installed worldwide than fossil fuels. The price for solar will drop so much that coal companies will be out of business by 2025. With cheap electricity comes cheap and abundant water. Desalination now only needs two kilowatt hours per cubic meter. We don't have a scarce water in most places. We only have a, scarce, a scarcity of drinking water. Imagine what would be impossible if anyone can have as much clean water as he wants for nearly no cost. Health. There will be companies that will build a medical device called a tricoder from Star Trek, if you remember, if you're a Trekkie, 
that works with your phone, which takes a retina scan, your blood sample, and you breathe into it. and then analyzes 54 biomarkers that will identify nearly any disease. It will be cheap. So in a few years, everyone on this planet will have access to world-class medicine nearly for free. 3D printing. Of course, the pharmaceutical industry is going to fight that one, but you know, uh, they're on a, a dying business model as people wake up to how the energy system called the body really works. The price of the cheapest 3D printer came down from $18,000 to $400 within 10 years. In the same time, it became 100 times faster. All major shoe companies started 3D printing shoes. Spare parts, pardon me, spare airline parts are already in 3D printed remote in airports. The space station now has a printer that eliminates the need for a large number of spare parts they used to have to have in the past. At the end of this year, new start smartphones will have 3D scanning possibilities. You can then scan your feet and print your perfect shoe at home. In China, they already have 3D printed a complete six-story office building. By 2027, 10% of everything that's produced will be 3D printed. Business opportunities. If you think of a niche you want to go into, ask yourself, in the future, do you think we'll have to have that? If the answer is yes, how can you make that sooner? If it doesn't work with your phone, forget the idea. And any idea designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to failure in the 21st if it doesn't work with a phone. 70 to 80% of jobs will disappear in the next 20 years. There will be a lot of new jobs, but it's not clear if there will be enough new jobs in such a small time. In agriculture, there will be a $100 agricultural robot in the future. Farmers in third world countries can then become manager to their field instead of working all day in their fields. Agroponics will need much less water. The first petri dish produced veal and now will be cheaper than cow produced veal in 2018. Right now, 30% of all agricultural surface is used for cows. Imagine if we don't need that space anymore. There are, se- there are several startups, and this one's not a very tasty thought, but several startups that will bring insect protein to the market shortly. It contains more protein than meat. It will be labeled as an alternative protein source because most people will still reject the idea of eating insects. There is an app called Moody's, which can already tell what mood you're in. In 2020, there will be apps that can tell by your facial expressions if you're lying. Imagine a political debate where it's being displayed when they tell the truth and when not. Bitcoin will become mainstream this year and might even become the default reserve currency. Longevity. Right now, the average lifespan increases by three months per year. Four years ago, the lifespan was 79 years, and now it's 80. The increase itself is increasing, and by 2036, there will be more than a one-year increase per year. So we might all live for a long, long time, probably way more than 100. Education. The cheapest smartphones are already at $10 in Africa and Asia. Until 2020, 70% of all humans will own a smartphone. That means everyone has the same access to world-class education. So this was uh, written by Robert M. Goldman, who's a uh, medical doctor and a PhD. And he put together this, uh, this idea of future. And when you think of all of those changes, imagine the technology of actual first-century Aramaic forgiveness, a tool with which you can consistently and reliably drop into the hidden parts of your mind and clean out the junk. Imagine that becomes critical mass and moves. And, and we're getting to that point, you know, um, just totally, completely, except for one, one country. Uh, there are now seven countries or seven different languages that have the book. Why is this happening to me again? in uh, in their language from people who, captured it, people we've never met, people we've never talked to, people we don't even know. In some cases, how they got it. 
this one gentleman who contacted us a, a few weeks ago. You were perhaps on the show, and he had just out of the blue dropped us an email and said, "Hey, by the way, here's your book in Danish. Started doing your worksheets online, and you know it's changed my life. So here it is. Now it's available. You can go to our website, and there's a Danish um, translation of Why Is This Happening to Me Again on WhyAgain.org. Free download and globally available. So the uh, the 50 years of, of moving things in that direction is clicking along and the acceleration is occurring. And uh, we invite you to join in holding the space, join in making the tools available to the people around you. There might be people that you feel a little strange, a little embarrassed even to, to um, introduce the idea to because uh, unfortunately, and this is one of the skills of the non-being mind, the tools that really heal have been given a stigma in one, one of the places where there's a stigma to the tools of healing are that the, the source of those tools come from a man, the most powerful ones that I know of, come from a man 2,000 years ago named Yeshua. He's popularly known as Jesus, but the non-being mind has created such a stigma around that that many people just reject it out of hand and people are afraid to even mention the name in many circles. And in, in many circles, in this country in particular, it's actually illegal. It's against the law to mention the name of a man who developed a set of tools that will heal every disorder and disease within your energy field. He's been made into a religious figure and his tools and his understanding discarded because kings don't want people to function as human beings. And of course, if you're new to the show, what is a human being? Hold a newborn child, you get a direct experience of what human life is. That's how each of us is designed to live as that active presence of love. If you don't know how to do that and you access the first century Aramaic tools that Yeshua developed. People say to me, Michael, what you put together is so great. No, no. What Yeshua put together is so great. I just got to be one who had the privilege of accessing his first century Aramaic language and working with developing the brain cells to understand what he taught and how it worked and chose to turn around and make it available on a global scale. We invite you to join in that project because the, the revolution that will occur in how we function as human beings, how children are treated, how women are treated, how men are treated, will be bigger than anything I just read. For human life to show up on planet Earth incarnated in seven and a half billion bodies will be monumental. And so we're delighted that you're here to participate in the conversation. And, you know, as Einstein said, it all happens. It's the creation process is in the mind and that we need to make a shift in our minds. This is the shift I'd offer that we need to make. And so we're glad you're here to join us in that process. And Jeannie, let's say hello to Dr. Tim if he's with us today. He is, and he's on. How do you be, young man? Mute challenge, Dr. Tim? Or maybe yes, indeed. From the phone. Oh, no, okay. I'm here. We got you. I was saying, I was saying. He said, "How are you?" And I said, "I'm, I'm, I'm nervous and edgy. I'm, I'm feeling pressured, like I have to open up three more groups. I'm slacking here." And with, with the pace of uh, the acceleration, your, your, what you're doing is awesome. <laughs> yeah, but what, what at the rate of acceleration that this is going, you know, reaching critical mass, I'm, I'm feeling just listening to all the good stuff that's happening and how it's going to be shifting so rapidly that was my the brain cells firing for me was maybe i need to open up three more groups five days a week Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i know the feeling you know when i first started doing this work it was just kind of a part-time interest 
And I, I actually, at that point, had three businesses. I had 60 employees. And um, that was what life was about. And so I, I understand the uh, the shift of mind that occurs because I went through it. You know, I literally woke up one morning and had the guidance, Michael, walk away from this. That's not what you're here for. Go back to school and uh, and start to do this on a full-time basis. And that's what I did. Discarded my Mark III and my Eldorado. Got rid of my penthouse in Toronto. And... Um, exchanged riding a bicycle back and forth to school for staying in a one-room apartment in an apartment building, and I exchanged living in that apartment building for taking care of the apartment building for the owner of the building. So it was, it was quite a shift in my life, quite a change, but, uh, oh, my God, it's certainly one that I am so delighted I did. Wow. I I can't imagine... Well, actually, I can't imagine. I can just look out in the world and see what's going on. But it's hard to imagine what my life would look like if, and that was about, let's see, 35, 30, 38, 39 years ago that I walked away from the business game and uh, went back to school and uh, started to do this work full time. Well, it's... It's it's true, you know. We've talked about it different times, and I forget who I was talking with last week, um, or it might have been earlier this week, about how when I first got introduced to this work and would share it with people, and that's only about it's somewhere between, um, I think it's twelve years ago that I first got introduced to the work, and. Um, when I would mention it to people, it would just their eyes would roll in the back of their head and they'd change the subject. And I've I've watched and we've talked about it how over the years, um, it, I don't get that response very much anymore. You know, I still get it occasionally, but more often than not, I get people who are asking questions and they're curious. And you know, more often than not, people will actually show up once or twice to a support group. And um, so it's it's very clearly changing. The uh, energy acceptance, awareness, whatever you want to call it, is shifting. So, so it's a good time to get involved because it's easier than ever ever has been before to share these tools and have people uh, begin to build the understanding. Absolutely, I'm in full agreement there. So anything to uh, report on uh, what you're seeing in practice in the way of patterns today or anything well, else to big, share before the, we check the, the, the phone lines? Well, the big thing would be the idea of um, people trying to control things. So <clears throat> whether it's from an anxiety, you know, or a specific fear, uh, had two people already today where the theme was that they were either trying to control outside events and or they were trying to control their emotional response. And yeah, not surprisingly, the harder they tried to control things, the more tense and fearful and uncomfortable they became. And... Um, in, in both the cases of the people I was working with earlier today, that it built to uh, frustration and confusion because their logical mind was telling them that they needed to control things, and then their logical mind was telling them that they were doing everything they could to control things. So why were they still feeling miserable, or why were they still feeling this traumatic energy, or why weren't people doing what they were you know, being told to do? So um, I... I have a practice of trying to get people to tune into the fact that in every worksheet process, it's the the cancel goal cancellation process is all about letting go and moving into allowance and moving into surrender and asking to be shown rather than trying to figure it out. And that's been the theme for today, that people have this deeply held conviction from a previous time in their lives 
that what they really needed to do was hide their emotions, thereby controlling the expression, or control the outside events, thereby controlling their emotional response. And um, it simply is counterproductive. It ends up building stress and tension rather than leading people to what they're hoping to achieve, which is calm. I just want to calm down. I just want to get rid of my anxiety. And everything I do to try and get rid of my anxiety is something my conscious logical mind is crafting, and therefore it's based on control, and therefore it's going to add to anxiety, even if it temporarily leaves me feeling a a moment of of relaxation, then I'm going to be afraid that if I don't maintain that practice or process that brought me there, I'm going to lose my relaxation. So, you know, as Guy Finley points out, it's insanity to think that I need to acquire something in order to be happy, and then as soon as I get it, I have the fear that I might lose it and not be happy. So the source of my happiness can't be also the source of my fear. There's there's an insanity there. So the theme for today is helping people realize surrender, allowance, and canceling the goal to control things is critical. Well, as you, uh, as you offer that, I've been doing a little bit of writing this morning based on some information in the Course in Miracles. And uh, I just want to read a, a paragraph. There's a a small uh, pamphlet-type thing, a small booklet that uh, is a companion to Course in Miracles. It's called Psychotherapy, Purpose, Process, and Practice. And one of the uh, quotes from that pamphlet, and it ties so perfectly with um, – with Carl Jung, who uh, who talks about how people will do anything to keep from facing themselves, and and his words are the most absurd thing. So, so here's what this uh, what the pamphlet uh, says about forgiveness: No one who learns to forgive can fail to remember love. Forgiveness then is all that need be taught, because it is all that need be learned. All blocks to the remembrance of love are forms of unforgiveness and nothing else. So that would apply to him to all the disturbances that you're talking about that people go through. This is, and and then it goes on to speak about, you know, we've talked before about blockage of truth and how love of truth is the antidote for that. So again, the, the, the line, all blocks to the remembrance of love are forms of unforgiveness and nothing else. And it goes on to say, and this is never apparent to the patient and only rarely so to the therapist. The world has marshaled all its forces against this one awareness for in it lie the ending of the world of insanity and all it stands for. So, you know, the, the, kicking and fighting and screaming that people will do to stay away from the solution and the solution has been made the enemy you know you listen to the enraged mind and the enraged mind forgive are you crazy it's like well you know you're right they may deserve your rage you know what they did I saw them man that was terrible they really deserve your rage but that's not the right question the question is do you deserve your rage because you're going to get the original they're just going to get a carbon copy and they may not be home for delivery. So, you know, does it really make sense to go there? But the uh, the defenses against the solution that have been built to keep people in insanity is just amazing. Amazing. So let's check with Gene. You have another thought there, Tim? Well, <clears throat> just that it, it makes really good sense if you understand that most of us created that belief and that dynamic at a younger time in our lives where we were in a situation where we did not have the control or the ability to understand things as we do now. And so as long as we survived at whatever level, regardless of the trauma, it's easy to see how we reached the conclusion that 
oh, whatever we did in the past, as long as we live through it, that's what we need to keep doing. And it's, it's like anything else, it doesn't matter how logical the progression of the of the discussion is, if it's built on a faulty premise, it's never going to yield good results. But you can build a very logical argument. It's just completely nonsense if it's built on a faulty Insane. premise. Yeah, and right. if I'm if I'm four or five or fifteen years old, and I'm in the middle of a very dangerous or a very emotionally abusive or a very intense or a very scary situation, and I think, well, gee, I need to do this or that to survive. If I survive, my conscious logical mind isn't even thinking about it. But my unconscious has recorded that as, okay, now in the future, anytime this happens, this is what you have to do to survive, whether it was watching a power person act that way or choosing a new behavior myself that, you know, to, that I thought was going to help me cope with a trauma or a difficult situation. If I survive it, connections get made in the brain, like you said, the file folder, my file folder on acting this way and surviving, they get linked with this kind of a stimulus. And, um, you know, it's that carbon-based memory, just like you talk about, it's a, a computer hard drive, essentially, that can only play back what has been programmed into it. And if I link those file folders in my mind and that trigger comes along later in life, I would have to be extraordinarily aware and awake as an individual to stop that behavior from coming out of me because it's just its an automatic process. It's that automatic decision-making process. Yeah. And that's what we're here to support people doing, becoming that kind of awake and aware. There's a, another uh, passage in the course that actually talks about the principle you were just talking about, and it speaks of you know the behaviors and such that we create, that we create these things, and everybody thinks their creations are beautiful, <laughs> sees no fault in them. So you know the creation of rage is like, oh, look at what I made. Mom, how cool is this? And... And it's difficult to see the errors in it because it's our own pet project, our own, in many cases, unconscious creation. And it's it's an unconscious replication of something from the past, but uh, it, it can be difficult to see the flaw in it until one gets really gets down to it and really is ready and willing to do the work, which is why, you know, we invite people as opposed to knowing about forgiveness and say, yeah, I've seen those worksheets to actually engage in the process, to actually do the process. And as the process is engaged in, the whole structure of the energy patterns of the generations changes. And, and, and the gifts that you receive from that, you don't just receive for yourself, you receive for all the world. You know, when, when we talk to the physicists, the physicists tell us that Every molecule in the universe is in continuous communication with every other molecule in the universe. So when you, as a molecule in the universe, receive a new level of understanding, a new insight, a new presence of love, you extend that energy to all the world. And the whole purpose of this work is to give more and more people the tools and the opportunity to do that until we hit that critical mass. And when Yeshua, the physicist, says, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. He wasn't talking about bread. He was talking about critical mass in physics. He understood physics. He understood how the energy system worked. He said, don't judge by appearances. You know, that, that was psychology. He was saying, your mind constructs the patterns, the pictures, the, the whole world that you see is constructed in your mind. It's an appearance. It's not true. Don't believe it. Don't act on it. I mean, the genius that was there is just amazing, just beyond amazing. The understanding of the impact on our genetics, you know, when, when the scriptures talk about the sins of the father being passed to three and four generations, that word sin is just an archery term, means off the mark, and that those energetic patterns move from generation to generation to generation. And the gifts also move, and as I open to receive the gift, as I heal a piece of this, you know, traumatized carbon-based memory system and remove some of its hostility or fear, I literally open the energy window for everybody in my bloodline 
And because we know that time is not a fact, it's something generated, something we made up, it impacts all people in our bloodline over all time. And if you think that gets kind of weird, when you get into the physics of it, they've done experiments that show us that, in fact, you can change the past. Something that's already happened changes. Look into the physics of it. Yeshua had an understanding of this 2,000 years ago. Whoa, what a a thing to bring to earth. But, of course, it was a threat to everything that had power at that time because it would collapse everything based in abuse and fear. You know, you look at how much fear teaching there is in the Old Testament, and that's what was controlling the game. You look at people who believed the priest's words when the priest said, God said, we got to go slaughter all the people in that village, even their women and their children and their animals. I mean, that advice is actually in the Old Testament. Now, there are people who want to believe that every word of that book, new and old, is true. But if it is, come and listen to Yeshua who says, you have been told to hate those who are your enemy. But I bring you something new. Be the presence of love for those who mistreat you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. He's saying what was said back there isn't true. You've got to start to question what isn't true. And it isn't true that you can go do war because God said you can do it. It's all a total, complete fraud and lie. And, of course, to really look at the truth of that creates a great stress and tension in the mind, especially for somebody who's got to, like, you've got to believe every word of it or you're some kind of a, you know, an outcast. It's a big threat to be outcast. And so the work of healing is passed energetically to everybody in the bloodline as you do your work. That's what's going to build critical mass. I know that in, you know, 45, 48 years, going on 50 years, that the work of one little guy from Theodosia, Missouri, who's never had any big money or any big advertising campaigns or any big, you know, corporation behind them, taking the tools and putting one foot in front of the other and delivering them to another village, People, you know, we sometimes, you know, when we travel, we accept invitations. And if we can work a stop in and we're going in a particular direction, we'll stop there and speak. And I've had people say, well, but how do you pay your own expenses? And you come here to our town and talk to 10 people. There are only 10 people here. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. The person who's going to make critical mass happen might be right here in this room right now. So we're going to deliver it. We're going to keep moving it in a decentralized fashion so that it doesn't build a big tower somewhere and we're going to just keep making it available on a global scale. On a global scale, you know. Three years ago, we got seven different countries in one year. It was awesome. And we just keep moving it out in wider and wider circles. Critical mass is getting close. Trying to be a part of it. Share it with somebody. Hand it to somebody. Support us handing it to somebody. So, Jeannie, do we have anything going on in the chat room to be aware of or anybody with a hand up? Or do you have any thoughts to share at this moment? Um, well, in chat room, uh, Camille was just saying that uh, she, you know, she's been working with Linda and Julie uh, every other week. And so she has right. uh, a time scheduled to work with them tomorrow morning. And tomorrow evening, a friend of hers has asked her to do a reality management worksheet with her. So she said she's going to be primed then to, to do the work with her friend tomorrow night. So we held the space. That's awesome job. Good going. Awesome, Camille. And, and she put down waking up one worksheet at a time. That's what it's about. So good job. And we do have a hand up. You still there, Michael? And it's area code. 
808, you're on the air. Thank you. This is Roma. Hey there, young lady. I keep telling myself to not call in, but it makes it very difficult when you start talking about our DNA. Um, When I hung up the phone yesterday, I decided to look at my entire life and identify any place that I still had any grief left. Because, you know, as you know, I've been processing for a long time. Um, And then I put that goal down and I went about living my life. And I uh, was watching uh, a a DVD from the Bolshoi Ballet of uh, my favorite Russian ballerina, Galina Yulanova, doing Cinderella. And and it was uh, Sergei Prokofiev, who was one of my favorite composers. So toward the end of the ballet, it suddenly dawned on me that my mother, who insisted on taking me as a four-year-old to ballet classes and for 14 years until I refused at the age of 18, did so because uh, she was incested by her four brothers and ended up feeling ugly and shamed and this and that and the other thing. So I took out a worksheet and I, I tried to do a worksheet on the DNA that's inside of me that I inherited from my mother. And, you know, in 2A, you talk about all my relations and generations. question I have is, is there a worksheet that is designed to process our DNA from our ancestors, specifically. Yes, you got it in your hands. One. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. So I. However, with, however, let me yes. give a suggestion. Let yes. me offer a suggestion. What you might want to do to take uh-huh. that to the next level uh-huh. is, rather than doing the worksheet as Roma, yeah, is do the worksheet imagining that you are your mother. Okay, good. Yeah, I knew you would have to. And or your grandmother, great-grandmother, mm-hmm. or just yeah. ask to be guided. You know, we had a young lady at um, Heart Lane last summer, and uh, she was experiencing some fear and some feelings around sexual mm-hmm. abuse, but she'd never in her memory been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. When we suggested that she ask to be shown, all of a sudden her grandmother who had died when she was about age four, so she only had shadowy recall of her grandmother. Her grandmother's face just came clear, full form in front of her and explained to her how her grandfather had abused her all their married life. And so she knew exactly where that abuse came from. So to do a worksheet as though you are her and be asked who the ancestors were that perhaps experienced that and do a worksheet from their perspective. Take a breath, Great. ask for permission, go into their space, and do the worksheet as them, and you will get another level. Very good. Okay, and and when are we good. doing? Good. Yeah. What? Uh, when I think it I is good. It? Yeah. When I was doing it, I had the thing. Well, is that external? Are my ancestors external? And I wrote the question down. But the answer came to me immediately that I chose to incarnate into this DNA, and this DNA is inside of me, so I'm not dealing, I'm not projecting. Is that correct? That would be right on. I mean, I'm right. basically, when you, when you understand that, the mind constructs the world that it sees. Once we break down and collapse everything in us based on hostility or fear. It's impossible. You know, the, the mystics talk about nirvana in the East. It's impossible to imagine what it's going to feel like and what it's going to look like when the end of the world happens. That is, the construct of our minds based in hostility and fear occur. What constructs that world, and I mean literally, we, we've been taught by the world that we look out through our eyes and see what's happening out there. And that's a total fraud. Nobody through their eyes. Eyes are one way. They bring information in. It's not out. 
you don't see anything out there, what happens is information frequencies come in through your eyes and resonate things in your mind and down to into your DNA. And Mm -hmm. whatever resonates literally is what paints the picture world that we see on the inside of our eyeballs. Wow. And so the world you see, the one that inspires fear or sadness or grief or joy or whatever, that world, literally the picture world, is a product of what's resonating throughout our energy field. So the idea of the forgiveness process is when you cancel the goal that's driving that process is you get to drop into those deeper layers and those deeper levels, and by accessing those and bringing love present to those, that's when they dissolve, and there's where the forgiveness occurs. So, yes, we are opening the space for everything that, you know, it's, it's just like you've got your computer, and if you've got some corrupt data, and every time you try to use, you know, this particular passage or this particular idea, the computer goes crazy because there's corrupt data. You've got to go in and repair the corrupt data before you can get proper output on the computer screen. Right. And that's exactly what's happening when you're forgiving uh, as to what's in the DNA. Right. Good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, young lady. You have a blessed day. You know, I, I delivered I delivered the worksheet to the sensei across the street yesterday, and it was very interesting because he doesn't express enthusiasm very much. You know, he's busy being in the middle middle way. He was very enthusiastic. Uh, I handed it to him. I had prepared it with the, the worksheet on the cat that I told you about yesterday because right. I thought that was very simple but very direct and obvious that anybody could understand mm-hmm. that. And then last night I went to a gathering, a fundraising gathering, for uh, a, a Native Hawaiian who has decided to step up and run for city council, for county council, for the county of Maui. And this man is so totally awesome. And uh, it was interesting, as I was sitting at the table talking to people around me, I was aware that every now and then I would insert some of the wisdom and information of this forgiveness process or wake-up process that you have introduced into my life. I would include it in the conversation, and I was aware that the reception was... almost already always that, yes, they knew this was true. They would shake their heads. They would act like, yes, that's true. And uh-huh. and, and it, it's, it was a demonstration to me that it, it permeates, it, that this consciousness, this frequency of truth permeates into the whole culture, whether people are even aware of it or not, like water permeating a, a, a dry sponge. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of getting it to critical mass. Yeah. That's what we've been working for for almost a half century is to get it to the exactly. point where it is literally globally available. And, well, that was obvious. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Have a blessed one. Take care. Bye-bye. Aloha. All right, Jeannie, we've got about uh, seven minutes left. Time for a great conversation. Is there anybody out there with a hand up that's ready for a great conversation? Nobody has a hand up. So if someone that's on the switchboard hits one, you're first in line. Oh, a hand just went up. Area code 417, you're on the air. Hi, it's Margaret calling from Missouri. Hey, young lady, good to hear your voice. Hi, can you understand me okay? You're loud and clear. Okay, good. Well, seven minutes, that's good. Um, You and I were texting a couple of weeks ago about that wonderful conversation that went on for several days about uh, the concepts and the definitions of emotions and feelings. Right. And... I'm so glad that that came up, and I wanted to just add a couple of things. Uh, And one is what uh, Dr. Tim was saying about how um, feelings um, can be um, experienced 
in different parts of the body and an example of that, and he may have already said this, I may have missed it, uh, for instance, anger, uh, one person may experience anger, the, feel, the emotion of anger may be felt in a different part of the body than someone else's where they feel it. It might be held in right. someone's chest in one case, in someone's stomach in another case, or up in the uh, triceps or biceps or whatever. Uh, so I think that that, um, that is a, a really good example of one emotion being felt differently. I also want to add well, my, how my important take before, it is. Before you, oh, Go ahead. Hello. Before you move to yes. another thought, just to, to throw in that, Remembering that emotions are reflections of thoughts, and thought is an energy that's stored in tissue. The reason the, the energy might be felt in the person in the biceps is because literally that's where the mind energy is stored. For the person that feels it in their gut, that's where the mind energy is stored. If it's stored in the big toe, the big toe is going to hurt. So that mind energy that is disintegrative can be felt anywhere and because of that's where it's stored. And, of course, once you start to pay attention to where it is, you tend to have much better access. So good point. Thank you. Right. Thank you for adding that. That's really important. Um, I I wanted to share, I also want to share uh, what happened with me when I was teaching early childhood education, and specifically um, kindergarten, five-year-old kindergarten. Uh, it took me several years to notice that little children, that the children I was dealing with at least, did not have the terminology for emotions. They either felt good or they felt bad. And so it's just enormously important for this terminology, these concepts to be taught to those children who will then be able to, you know, as they come up, they'll be able to deal with their own emotions and also teach their children and grandchildren and so forth. Um, and so the other thing I wanted to mention, and maybe you have already talked about this, is um, um, the possibility of, of integrating those two words, emotions and feelings, together in the worksheet. Uh, and I think I sent you a text about that. Um, what emotion are you feeling now, which would um, be a great opportunity to teach those who do not understand the difference, and also to remind those of us who perhaps had learned it at one time and then forgotten, I learned it from you, and then I forgot, and Rex brought up that question, and I relearned it, so thank you, Rex (laughs) and Michael. Uh, But I, I know that the worksheet already has lots of words in it, and it might... Um, be difficult to add. I just think that that would be very, very helpful to state to, well, to I, ask I think questions. We, yeah. Do you have a copy of the, the new worksheet? I don't have one printed out right now. I'm still using oh, up okay. my old worksheet. I had a stack. Okay. Well, well, I did go in last week and make some changes as a result of that conversation in the worksheet, and oh. it's on the website. Oh, all right. So, and, okay. and basically the upshot of it is that in the upper part of the worksheet, you know, feel emotions. They experience emotions. And it's kind of a head thing. And, you know, they just know they're, I'm enraged. They don't know the rage is in their gut. They can't feel it. They're cut off from it. So they're, they're not feeling. They're experiencing this emotion, something that emotes from the mind energy held in that tissue, but they're not in touch with where it is. So, the upper part of the worksheet is where that tends to happen. So I've changed the upper part of the worksheet to the word emotion pretty much throughout. And then what, what my experience is, is that most people, once they cancel the goal, once they bring in the presence of love and they ask for help in processing it, they then are able to drop out of that heady space of emotion, that, that sensation you know, that's kind of not local in their bodies and drop mm-hmm. into their bodies and feel. And so the bottom part of the worksheet is, is I left it as, and I now feel and draw your feelings, but up above it's draw, draw your emotions. Mm-hmm. So take a look at it and see what you think. And if you have I will, I will. 
I will cool. definitely do right. that. Okay, excellent. Okay, well, those were the awesome. things I wanted to add. You've had so many wonderful programs and shows lately. I'm just, I, I don't get to tune in all the time, and when I do, it's pretty amazing. Wonderful discussion. We're blessed. Yes. All right, and yes. we'll look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. All right, everybody, we appreciate you deeply. If you're ready to take your work to the next level, look at the schedule on whyagain.org for this summer. 10-day food fund forgiveness of work, 9-day why, 16-day laws of living. Come and play. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot org. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.